But I think this morning's message, or I hope every week's message really, is for young and old. Um, But I reckon even some of our children here and teenagers and young adults, I don't know if there'd be anyone here who at times in their life hasn't felt that their prayers, maybe if you pray in bed like I do often, times you feel like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. Maybe you've had the frustration, losing patience with yourself, with God, and get the sense that, is he there? Is he listening? Is he able to answer my prayers? Is he there at all? Especially perhaps in times of long suffering, endurance, persisting in prayer, but nothing seems to be changing. And there seems to be a continual season, it feels like, of unanswered prayer. And questions start to form in our minds, don't they? Doubts start to raise their ugly head. Am I praying wrong? Am I praying the wrong things? Is God not listening? Is he even there at all? What's the point of praying if nothing happens? I know God promises to work good things or all things for good for those who love him, but nothing feels very good at the moment. What are you doing, God? can't see your purposes that you've promised you're working out at the moment. I want to trust them. I know you're sovereign. I know you're good. But I don't feel any of that. I don't see any of that where I am at the moment. It feels like the wheels might be falling off. God hasn't promised to answer all of our prayers, has he, the way we want him to. But Jesus certainly gets pretty close to promising that here in the passage we've just had read for us. Ask, and it will be given to you. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. What about me, Lord? The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. There's no conditions there, are there? No qualifications, no little subclause down the bottom saying, so long as you ask this way or for these things. Jesus simply says, ask, and you will receive. And at first glance, and maybe even second glance, Jesus seems to be offering an open invitation a carte blanche offer to pray, just ask and attach with that offer is the promise that you'll receive what you ask for. That he will give to us whatever we ask. And yet our experience doesn't match the text, does it? It doesn't seem to match what Jesus is saying here. Is that fair to say? Unanswered prayer, I think, must be one of the greatest conundrums and concerns of the Christian faith. So much so that at times it might even give reason for some, sadly, to give up on faith and turn their back on God altogether because they feel their prayers haven't been answered and it's not fair. God can't be good. He can't be sovereign if my prayers are not being answered. I want to suggest to us this morning that the passage here, what Jesus is saying here, undisputably settles the matter of unanswered prayer. At least it settles one side of that conundrum. 
when it comes to unanswered prayer, and I say this gently, but simply because it's what Jesus is saying here, when it comes to unanswered prayer, the problem is not with God. Jesus makes it really clear to us in his very short and simple but very significant illustration. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake, a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? One of the reasons I think Jesus doesn't add any qualifications or conditions to what he says here about asking, seeking and knocking is because he wants to drive home the point that our Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to us. That he's generous and he's gracious with what he gives. And he doesn't want to confuse or clutter that with any conditions and qualifications. He wants us to know, and I want us to hear it this morning, that God is good all the time. And all the time he's good. And God is sovereign all the time. And he knows how to give good gifts. Not just does he know how, he's willing and he's able to give good gifts. He delights to do that to his children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As I said, I think Jesus settles the matter, doesn't he? It's not because God is stingy. It's not because he withholds anything from us that we're not having our prayers answered. Jesus does say, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts. There's a really short but simple proof text for the depravity of humanity, isn't there? Most of us wouldn't call everybody in the world evil. Jesus can, and he does. And say, for the grace of God, that is actually what we are. In comparison to Jesus, perfectly sinless and righteous, we are evil. But not only in comparison to him, we're simply all sinners. Rex read it out for us earlier this morning. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not one. No one who does good. No one understands. Paul reminds us in Romans 3. And even as Jesus says, we who are evil know how to give good gifts. Think back to Genesis 3. Where does our knowledge of good and evil come from in the first place? There's much that we think is good that actually isn't because we don't look to God for what is good. We are utterly sinful and unable and unwilling to change that about ourselves. But Jesus' point here is not about our depravity. It's about the grace and generosity of our Father. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts and you give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good gifts to us? We know that it would be totally unsatisfying to give our child who needs a bit of bread, here, have a stone instead. It looks a bit like a loaf of bread. Have that instead. Doesn't work, does it? We know it would actually be teasing and taunting them, even mocking their hunger deceiving them even to do something like that. It wasn't long ago in Matthew's Gospel, was it, that we read of Satan telling Jesus to turn stones into bread. Evil indeed. 
If we who are evil, sinful and selfish, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our perfect, righteous and gracious Father know how to give good gifts to us, to those he loves, to those who ask him? Not only that, in his grace, he gives those good gifts to us who are evil. Pretty amazing. Not because we're good, but because he delights to give good gifts. And so let me say it again, even though we may not prefer the alternative, Jesus makes it clear here when it comes to our questions and concerns about our answer prayer, the problem doesn't lie with our Heavenly Father. He, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things in all times, you might abound in every good work. Friends, our Heavenly Father is not stingy. He doesn't withhold any good thing from his children. He delights to give good gifts to us. And he has, hasn't he? Jesus' half-brother, James, picks up so much of what Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount in his letter. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that James was somewhere in the crowd here up on this mountain as Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount. And James gives us a kind of commentary on this passage, I think, and teaches us in his letter that there is actually a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray, or at least a wrong motive in our praying. The first thing James says regarding prayer is you do not have because you do not ask. So there's the first wrong way to pray, not to pray at all, not to ask. So the idea here is not to be so fearful that we're praying the wrong way that I won't say anything. No, James makes it clear the first reason you don't have anything you don't receive from God is because you don't ask. So don't let fear get in the way of asking, of praying. But hear what else he says regarding prayer. When you do ask, he says, you don't receive because you ask wrongly. You ask to spend it on your own passions. And so there's our second explanation for unanswered prayer, or a second explanation. If we pray selfishly for our own desires, for our own passions, our own will, our own comforts and pleasures, we may well ask, but we may not receive. Because we're asking wrongly to spend it on our passions, James tells us. Two biblical answers to the questions of unanswered prayer. You might notice I haven't actually said that one of the reasons is that we haven't got enough faith. Sadly, in some circles, that's one of the reasons given for unanswered prayer. You need more faith, then you'll be healed. This hasn't happened because you haven't prayed with enough faith. To which I'd say, didn't Jesus say something about faith the side of a mustard seed? size of a mustard seed, could move a mulberry tree or even a mountain. So it's not about how much faith we have. Nor is it about prayer, nor is prayer about moving mulberries or mountain trees. But with regards to our prayers being answered, it's not about the size of our faith that matters. James goes on to tell us in his letter, if we find ourselves sitting on the fence trying to love God and love the world at the same time, trying to delight in him but actually want to delight in our own pleasures and satisfaction, that God, our Heavenly Father, he yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us. If you've got children, 
whether they're 2 or 12 or 22, you know what it's like to yearn jealously over your kids and want the best for them. And when you see them wandering off or making a decision, you don't think that's wise, but you know it's not right to quite jump in. (laughs) You yearn for them, don't you? You want what's best for them. God our Father yearns jealously over the spirit he's given us to dwell in us. But, James goes on, he gives more grace. Give, he gives. James knows it. God our Father is a giver of good gifts, of grace and wisdom and his spirit. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, James teaches us. Can you see how close that is to what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount? God gives more grace. And we'll pick up James again but by the end of the message. But he gives without reproach. God our Father is a giver. Just as Jesus promises here, ask and it will be given. In Luke's Gospel, the parallel passage of this, of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus names the good gift that our Heavenly Father gives to those who ask. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so now we start to see what it is that our Heavenly Father gives so freely and so fully to those who ask. His grace his wisdom, his spirit. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I want this, I want that. I don't, it's fine to have those. Friends, if that's how we're responding, we don't know how rich a gift it is to have the spirit of God. He's graciously, graciously given his son, his grace. How much more will he not give us all things and the wisdom of God? But to pick those things up, you would have noticed I've looked elsewhere outside of the Sermon on the Mount here. James, Luke. What about just here, where Jesus makes this invitation and this promise? Simply ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Is there something here in the Sermon on the Mount that teaches us what it is where to ask, how we're to ask, that we can know for sure that we will receive just as Jesus promises here? I think there is. And if you'll bear with a little bit of perhaps exegetical explanation this morning, I think you'll find it really helpful to help us interpret this because I think so many of us read this. And Lord, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, but I'm not finding, I'm not receiving anything. Some commentators think that Matthew chapter 7, this third chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, is just, it's almost a separate part of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 and 6, if we've been going through it, you could see some of the, the flow and the thread that goes through, the six examples of what it is to be salt and light, the three examples of not practicing your righteousness in public so that others will see you. It all sort of links together. But chapter 7 just seems to be this random collection of sayings. A bit like a few chapters in the book of Proverbs. One commentator says this, this text, the one before us this morning, Ask, Seek, Knock, he says this text virtually proves that Matthew 7 is more or less an eclectic collection of teachings of Jesus. 
Judging, what we heard last week, verses 1 to 5, does not clearly lead to the teachings on not giving out the gospel. Verse 6, giving your pearls to swine. And neither of those sections lead directly to the theme of prayer, verse 7 to 11. Moreover, none of that, none of those sections lead naturally to the golden rule, verse 12, next week, do unto others. And so it's wise, he says, to let the Bible be what it is. In this case, a random collection of Jesus' teachings. Now that commentator, he's not alone in his thinking. And he's actually got some good things to say about what Jesus says here. But I totally disagree with what he's just said there. I think Jesus is a better teacher than that, a better preacher than that, to just have a random collection of sayings at the end of his message. I think Matthew is a more spirit-filled, spirit-inspired gospel writer than that. And I think even just a little careful reading of our scriptures, a little bit of seeking and searching, will help us see that Matthew 7 is not a random collection of Jesus' teaching at all. If we give up too quickly just because we cannot see the connection straight away, we're refusing to do the very thing Jesus is telling us to do here. Ask and seek and knock. For example, if you haven't got your Bibles open, open them up to Matthew 7. If you've got them on your phone, if you haven't got it out, get it out. This is what Jesus is asking us to do, I think. Seek. Seek the truth. There's one word, for example, just one very small word, but very significant word, which convinces me these are not a random collection of teachings. In verse 12, which Nat's going to look at next week for us, at the very beginning of verse 12, in most translations, sadly some have dropped it out, the very beginning of chapter 12 begins with the word, so. So, therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, if my memory's right, as I think back to my days in primary school when I learnt grammar, I don't know if they still teach grammar in primary school, do they? That word so is a conjunction. That is, it's a joining word. Am I right, teachers out there? And you don't join together random bits and pieces, do you? You don't say because of this, therefore that, if those two things are not connected. So there's just one little word that tells us this is not a random collection of teachings. And as the real estate agents used to say, location, 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 context, where this is written is really important in our understanding of what Jesus is saying here. At first glance, as I said, maybe even at second glance, that so in verse 12 doesn't seem to make any sense. Verse 11 says, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, talking about God and how good and gracious and generous he is. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, at first glance, that seems a little bit disjointed. You might be able to find some connection that I can't yet. But it's not a definite, clear connection there, is there? But if we see our passage this morning, verses 7 to 11, as sitting rightly and appropriately between what comes before it and what comes after it, I think the connection becomes much more clear. I think it makes perfect sense. Last week, judge not. Don't be quick to judge. Don't have a supercritical, hypercritical spirit or attitude. But at the same time, don't give your pearls to pigs. Still practice some discerning judgment. 
To which the obvious question is, and as we looked at this at Bible study a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, the question was, well, how then do we do this? How do we go about not being judgmental but still being discerning? How are we meant to distinguish between the two? And if we consider the broader context of the whole Sermon on the Mount, how can we do anything Jesus has been teaching us? Where do we find this righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? How is it we work out this practical righteousness that he's been describing in this sermon? How do we wrestle in loving our neighbours and our enemies? How do we love our families, wrestle in love with our spouses when things are not working out? How do we grieve in faith and hope when we've lost a loved one? How do we raise our kids in a world that wants to do everything but draw them to God and take them away from him instead in his will? How can we ever be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect? To which Jesus says, ask and it will be given. See the connection? It all comes from God. And again, as Nat shared last week, I'm just a beggar myself telling you where I've found food. Ask God. Seek him and his righteousness. Knock on his door for the things of God. Because our Heavenly Father, he knows and he loves to give good gifts to your children. I'd actually be disappointed over the series where we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount if some of those questions haven't come to your own hearts and minds. I hear what you're saying, Ray. I hear what you're saying, Nat. I hear what Jesus is saying here. But how can I do this? If it's not just don't commit adultery, but don't do it in your heart. If it's not just don't commit murder, but don't get angry. Lord, I'm lost. I cannot do this. To which one answer Jesus would say is, well, have a look at verse 12. Come next week to church and listen to what I've got to say. If you're still not sure, you've asked and you've sought and you've knocked and you're still not sure, well, practice this. Whatever you'd like that person to do to you, do to them. This is the law and the prophets. It covers it all. This is the wisdom of God. Again, it's not random teaching, is it? It's all connected. How is it you would like someone to confront and address you if, you, if they're critical about you? Well, think about that before you go and criticise them. It does all fit together. I do think, and we've got to hold this intention, I do think there's a mystery when it comes to prayer. There has to be, doesn't it? Us finite, fallen human beings praying to the infinite, wise, perfectly righteous and sovereign God. There's got to be a mystery that takes place there. And therefore I think there's a lot we cannot know about the reasons why our prayers are not answered. There's a great verse in Deuteronomy 20, 29, 29. It used to get thrown around when I was at uni, quite out of context, I think, but helpful here. The secret things belong to the Lord. We won't know everything. But the things that are revealed belong to us. He's revealed so much. And they belong to us and to our children forever so that we may do the words of the law. 
so that we may be filled with his wisdom and do his will and delight in it. God's revealed enough to us in his word to understand a little more than just, oh, my prayers are not being answered, I'll give up. No, ask and seek and knock. I don't think he wants us just to stop and resign ourselves to how things are. He wants us to ask and seek, and that's what Jesus is telling us to do. As I said, without doing that, we're actually doing the ve- not doing the very thing he's telling us to do. Each of these words, ask, seek, and knock, they're commands, they're what we call present imperatives. Sorry, double grammar lesson this morning. Which tells us, it simply tells us where to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. And there seems to be a sort of growing um, intensity, doesn't there? Ask and seek and knock this growing fervour within it. And we could bunch them all together and say, Jesus is only talking about prayer here. And that could be okay. But I wonder, in fact, if they're each a little different. To ask is to pray. It's to petition God, as we hear Paul saying. Most of his letters begin with giving thanks to God for the people he's writing to. And then he prays to God and he says, I pray without ceasing that you'd grow in a knowledge of God and your faith and your hope and love. He often prays without ceasing. That's what it is to ask here. And to seek is to search, isn't it? If you're seeking, you're looking for something, you're hunting it down, and there's a degree of determination. Like they have recently, we've heard it on the news, haven't we? With that submersible that was diving to check out the Titanic. They were seeking, seeking it for days. And sadly, only to find it had imploded under the pressure of the depth of water. Or the three short stories in Luke 15. The man with a hundred sheep and one goes missing. He goes out and seeks it. The woman with the coins and she seeks it diligently until they find what they're looking for. How many of us seek the things of God like that? Diligently until we find it. And where is it we're seeking our answers these days? Is it his word? His revealed will to us? A few weeks ago I shared a sermon illustration and as, as I had to afterwards, raise, uh, someone raised a concern and I was grateful. They raised that concern with me. They were seeking the truth and bothered enough to actually ask about it and raise a concern. Last week, someone else raised another concern with something they'd heard. We talked about it and chatted about it. And you know what they did when they went home that day? They went home and read their scriptures. And they sought an answer about that concern. How good is that? And in the process, the Lord searched their own heart and as well as helping them find what they found and realise, okay, my concern was valid, but maybe my reaction probably not needed to be so strong. There's a whole lot of learning and growing that took place because they sought and they found in God's word. Peter said to Jesus at one point, you know, Jesus says, are you all going to go as well? Everyone's leaving. And what does he say? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? I don't want to seek truth, wisdom, love, righteousness anywhere but from you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Seek like that. And why do you ever knock? Think about it. 
you knock when you want entry to somewhere, don't you? That you don't have access to yourself. When you don't have a key, you knock. When it's not your home, you knock. There's a great scene in Acts 12. It's almost comical. Peter's been in prison. An angel comes at the night and releases him from prison. He doesn't really know what's going on himself and he ends up outside the prison. He's still somewhat dazed. And when he comes to himself, he goes and tries to find the rest of the disciples and he knocks on the door. The servant girl comes and answers and she's so astonished. (laughs) She's amazed. She closes the door and runs back and tells everyone, Peter's outside. (laughs) Peter's still left outside in the cold. They said, oh, it must just be his angel. It can't be him. He's in prison. No, no, it's him. And Peter's still knocking outside because he wants entry. He wants to see them. What's the knocking Jesus is referring to here? Where's the entry? What's the entrance Jesus has been speaking about in the Sermon on the Mount that he wants us to come into? I'd have to say it's his kingdom. Because without the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 13 coming up, enter by the narrow gate. Knock and it will be opened. Your version may say the door will be opened. There is no door there. Some translations have interpreted it that way. And you might think, well, it seems more vague than the door. But I'd say, well, which door is Jesus talking about? I don't think it's more vague at all. I think it's actually better because it, I believe, refers to the kingdom of heaven. And if we're going to knock there, we need the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Where do we get that from? Ask, seek and knock. It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus is getting near the end of his sermon, as am I, and he knows his audience well, I think, well enough to know that they will be asking those questions I've raised earlier. Jesus, you're talking about this righteousness that exceeds the goody-two-shoes of our day. They're all the teachers. They're the ones that are doing it right. How are we meant to get better than that? How are we meant to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect? And if they're asking those questions and if we are asking those questions, let me take you right back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Because if we're asking those questions, we're actually in a really good position. Because I think it tells us that we're blessed. Because we've realised we haven't got what we need. We've realised that we are poor in spirit. We've realised that we hunger and thirst for a righteousness that we do not have. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. What is it we want in life? That's an open question. Lots of things, I imagine. But do we want what God has? 
Do we want what God wants and delights to give to us? Eternal things, not temporary things that are going to come and go and burn up one day. Is that our desire? Is that what we seek? The kingdom of God and his righteousness? Not just that they'll be given to us, but to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to us in Christ, under the Father. Is that what this church hungers and thirsts for? I hope and pray it is. Above all else, more and more. Because as we've been hearing in this Sermon on the Mount, the priorities of God's kingdom children are completely upside down compared to the priorities of the world. And where do we turn when we want these things? When we want to know how to raise our children in wisdom in this world. When we need patience and endurance in suffering. When we need to find forgiveness and love in our marriages. Where we're wrestling in a secular workplace to know how to stand as a man or woman in Christ. And when we know our own hearts and consciences need the righteousness of God. And they're not that. The good news, as Jesus says here, and I want to take us back to James just briefly. In chapter 1 this time, James tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, just ask. Ask God, simply ask for it in faith without doubting. And listen to what James says, so close to what Jesus said here. Ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Isn't that wonderful? We have a Father in heaven who just loves to give his good gifts to us. He who did not spare his own son, greatest gift of all, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We may have started this message this morning with a question of unanswered prayer and some of the reasons for unanswered prayer. And whilst this passage raises that question for us, where it actually takes us is to our Father to the heart of God, who loves to give his wisdom, his grace, his spirit, his love. This is good news for those who know God and love him and long to enter his kingdom. Just ask, seek and knock, because everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Because your Father in heaven, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father God, you are so gracious and so generous, so faithful. Your gifts are so good to us. Sometimes we admit we are reluctant, we're lazy, we're often wobbly in our faith and sometimes selfish in our prayers. But Lord, you're not. You're steadfast in your love, you're merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love.
and you delight to give good gifts to your children. You delight to have us ask you for those good gifts and you give them freely. Father, would you renew in us a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, for your kingdom, for your wisdom, Father, would you help us to grow in our knowledge of you and in our faith in your generous, gracious and holy love. Help us to see all that we have received from your hand and help us to keep on asking, seeking and knocking that we might receive all the more and realise all that we have in Christ, every spiritual blessing. In his name we pray. Amen.